Uh, good morning. Uh, my name is TC. I'm going to be taking us through Genesis chapter 3 on just sin uh, and uh, salvation. Uh, before we read, I want to thank the different... Uh, last time I was here, I mentioned to you that uh, uh, my wife was going to be away for one month. Uh, I've been a solo dad uh, this last month. I want to thank the different families that fed my boys and I during this time. <laughs> Invited us for lunch, for dinner, really, really, we felt loved during this time. And I want to say to the other dads who laughed at me, <laughs> I wish the same thing on you. <laughs> I hope your wife goes away for three months. <laughs> we have a mission station in Pakistan, where is it? <laughs> where there's no network. <laughs> But thank you so much uh, for the love and support. Um, let's, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this opportunity to open your scriptures, to interact with the very mind of God. Lord, we acknowledge as we do that, that all we need to know for life and for godliness is given to us in your scriptures. All we need to hear for life and for godliness is given to us in your scriptures. All that we need to be or have is given in this life and in godliness has been given in your scriptures. Lord, would you this morning open our restless hearts to your eternal word and would you open your eternal word to our restless hearts? Would you help me not to lead your people into error, but to just communicate your son, Jesus Christ, in a clear way? And we pray for many other places where scripture is being opened this morning. In Kenya, in Africa, would you, O oh God, draw people to yourself? And we pray for those uh, who are unable to gather would your grace minister to them and the different churches and parts of the world that are being persecuted, we remember, we remember them this morning and would your word minister to them. In your son's name we pray, amen. Genesis chapter 3. It's one of the most important passages in the Bible. If you are a non-believer, and you're hoping to start a journey of Christianity and knowing the Lord, this is one of the passages in the Bible that you must understand because the entire story of the Bible is premised on this passage. And if you're already a Christian and you don't have appreciation of this passage, you need to go back to it and understand it because it's no point trying to go everywhere else in the Bible and trying to understand solutions for a problem that you don't quite grasp. This passage is talking about sin. This is the lens in which we view the world, right? It's Genesis 3. This is where the world is. This is where history, world history is rested, is determined, and everything that has happened on this particular passage, which is Genesis chapter 3. 
If you don't understand it, you struggle with the rest of the Bible. This passage here is the reason why some of us are feeling sick this morning. What's explained in this passage will give you the reason why you've had a tough week. This passage will explain why this morning you're sitting together with your spouse, but you've had a rigorous exchange of opinion before you came to church. This is that passage. This is that passage. Everything that's wrong with the world, everything that you think is wrong with the world, the thing that you're not looking forward to in the week, anything and everything in this world, it's in this passage, Genesis chapter 3, because we are living in a Genesis chapter 3 world. And what this passage does, the first part of this passage, it shows how sin entered into the world, but it also begins to show how salvation entered in the world. So it shows how dark, how deprived humanity was. Sin entered through one man, like what Romans chapter 5, verse 12, this is the explanation it gives. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, came through death and sin, and it spread to all men, this is that passage that we want to look at. Many people in the world want to deny the reality of sin. Would like to explain away what aches and what ails humanity. But at the core of humanity, the problem is the problem of sin. And sin is much deeper, much pervasive, and much darker than you think it is. And the solution that God brings for that sin is, is more glorious and amazing than you wish it could be. And that's what we're going to look at at this passage. Just how did sin come into the world? And how did salvation come into the world? All the efforts that we're doing even most of the profession, the thing that you, you went to school to study is to try and reverse <laughs> what happened in this passage. Doctors, psychologists, all the things we're trying to do and make this world a better place. You would make a better place for you and me. <laughs> nah, that's paintwork. That's cosmetics. There's a problem that's deeper than what we think is going on in the world. And we want to look at how, how did sin come into the world uh, through the first human beings, our parents, that's Adam and Eve. How did it come? What, and, and how does that still happen today? How does the enemy still come to introduce sin into our lives? And how does it work in our flesh? I'm going to start off before I read the passage with a very basic definition of, of sin that I came across. J. Mac is my short uh, and for uh, John MacArthur. <laughs> and, uh, and a Puritan uh, paraphrase from a book called Repentance that I read. Here's a, 
a really basic, I think this is one of my best definitions of what sin is. Sin is any personal lack of conformity to the moral character of God. Any personal, any aspect uh, of, of yourselves that lacks conformity to the character of God, that's sin, right? Conformity not just to his character, but to his word, to what is revealed in Scripture. Then sin is a disposition of the heart. It is a bent. It thinks evil, it speaks evil, it acts evil, and it omits good. The four ways in which you sin is you sin by thinking evil, by speaking evil, by acting evil and omitting good. You sin when you do, when you say, when you think, when you don't do or say or think what God commands you to. Right? You're not conforming to the character of God, to what is revealed in Scripture. That is what sin is. The world is trying to redefine sin and get rid of sin and guilt from humanity. And we'll see that from day one. That's what, that's what Adam did. That was his response to sin, to try and get rid of the guilt of sin. You don't hear it being mentioned. When I hear people feeling guilty these days, it's because they've eaten a chocolate fudge or they've overeaten. That's why I'm, I'm feeling guilty. <laughs> But in other things, with the sin, we, try, we find ways to try and explain it away. But how did the devil work from day one? Let's go through Genesis chapter 3 from verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. We see that in this passage, there's no mention of the word sin itself. But you see that in chapter 2, the world is perfect. And then you see in chapter 4, the children of these two parents, uh, you know, start killing each other. There's hate, there's envy in the world. So you could see the difference, right? The Bible doesn't give a time frame on how long it took from the time he created man to the point that they fell. But here's just a description of the events and we want to look at things that we could learn for today as the enemy and our flesh tempts us to sin. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God has made. So here we've got to understand that the, the devil himself, who's a powerful, powerful being, right? I mean, this is the kind of being that would convince a third of the angels to want to dethrone God and eclipse and hate God and turn away from the creator and the sustainer of the universe. This should tell you how formidable the enemy is, right? So he comes and he disguises himself as a serpent. So this is one of his cheap tricks because he's powerful, right? He comes in. So the Bible here does not teach that an actual snake is demonic. Everything that God created, he said, it is beautiful. I know there are cultures in the world that sees specific animals as demonic. I know some that see snakes, cats, all, hyenas. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I, I come from a culture like that. If an oaf, if, if a cat, a black cat walked past, my grandmother would be praying the whole day. 
<laughs> but everything that God made is beautiful. There's nothing wrong with the serpent itself. But it's the enemy who comes and he disguises himself as a serpent and he approaches Adam and Eve. So here's the first thing that he does and he starts to move humanity towards sin. And this is what he still does up to today to move you towards a lack of personal conformity to the moral character and what God to a way of thinking, to a way of speaking, to a way of acting, to a way of feeling, and to a way of not doing good. It's what he did on day one. This is what he's still doing today. Here's the first thing that he did. It's in, it's, it's, it's in uh, that first verse, and he said to the woman, did God actually, says now the serpent will say, and he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The first thing that the enemy does to tempt us to sin and to move us towards sin is it makes us doubt God's word. He makes us doubt God's word. And the way he makes us doubt God's word here, the way he's coming to, to say to, to, uh, to Adam, it's not just, he's not coming to do like a doctrinal conversation, right? To say, did God, is God, you know, do you think God is Calvinist? Do you think God is, you know, Arminian? Do you think, what do you think is the nature of God? Do you think God is omnipresent or he's not? Do you, he didn't come with like a theological argument. What that sounds like, it sounds like he's mocking. Like, God actually said that. Like, bro, <laughs> I can see him talking to him like, did God actually say that? Like, that's ridiculous. If he's God, how could he say that? He's like, did God actually say <laughs> Right? Did he actually say that? He's mocking what God has, has revealed to humanity. Hold on, I'm having a technological right there. It's the result of, of the fall. Genesis chapter 3. <laughs> so what's happening? <laughs> he mocks him and he, he smuggles in uh, a an assumption that God's word is, is subject to our judgment as human beings. That we can look at what God has revealed about how we should live and what we should do in Christ Jesus and think, wow, it's subject to our judgment. And say, God actually said this? God was disconnected to the 21st century. How could he say this? <laughs> right? That's what the enemy is doing. What, one commentary here, it says that the purpose of the serpent's question is not to provide information, but to create an atmosphere of doubting what God said. Eve here, what she's essentially doing is now she's listening, right? Instead of listening to God's word, she's listening to a created thing determine what God's word said. The strategy number one of the enemy comes for us to mock, to adopt before even a theological argument. I, I tell a lot of guys who, who do apologetics, I'm like, thank God. But there's, I, I feel like a lot of people uh, focus on one aspect of apologetics, which is theological. But I think a lot of the apologetics in the world are emotional. It's about how people feel 
about Christianity or how they feel about Christians and how they feel about the church, right? And that's what the enemy does. Comes and says, nah, did God actually say this? Makes you doubt what God has said to you. And it says, you say to the woman, verse 2, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Second thing he comes to do is a distortion of God's word. So number one, he comes to make you doubt God's word. You're on that path. You're on the path to sin. But second, when the distortion of God's word comes, and here's how subliminal that distortion is. Because this is what it says, right? Did God say you shall not eat of any tree? But look at what God had actually said in verse 15 of chapter 2. Then God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good of, of, of evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely you shall surely die. God didn't, didn't say, and we're going to notice on that next step as well, that God did not start with a restriction when he was giving Adam and Eve a command. He didn't say, don't eat of the tree. No. He started with a blessing. He said, eat of anything that you want. He started off with how much he has given to them, how much he has blessed them. But you know where the enemy starts? He starts with the one thing that God has excluded amongst all the things that God has permitted in the universe and in the, on the planet. He's like, did God say, you shall not eat of this tree? How many movements in this world are premised on here is a sexuality that God excludes in his Bible. And then they build a movement and an attitude towards God that therefore God is unloving based on this one thing he has excluded. Many movements that are premised on this thinking. It's the way that leads us to sin. When it begins to distort when we say this one thing that the Lord has, the Bible has disallowed, determines my attitude and my approach, it disqualifies then the whole faith experience. You're on the path to sin. It begins to distort many things here. God comes and he gives the command to Adam. This is now in the context of marriage not in the context of maleness and femaleness. This is just one aspect of this passage where he comes to a married couple and he goes to Adam and he gives the command. That's what God does. But what does the devil come to do? He comes and he talks to Eve. And later when God comes, he comes and he talks to Adam. It's even coming to distort God's design for marriage. <laughs> right? God is giving the law and responsibility to the man in terms of, you know, the spiritual welfare of the family. That's in the context of marriage. 
But the enemy doesn't come to talk to the person who's given. He comes to talk to Eve. That's a distortion. God comes back again. He talks to Adam. Again, I'm not here to say, to say, oh, so God was putting in a hierarchy of importance. No. This is a hierarchy of responsibility. Man and women are equal in worth, but not identical in role. We're all equal before God within the context of marriage. Equal in worth, equal in gifting. If not, women could be better gifted than men. <laughs> but our roles within the context of marriage are not identical. Men have the hierarchy not of importance, but of responsibility. The first one to sacrifice, the first one to love, and the first one to serve. And Christians, we should understand that. We shouldn't go into, ah, you see, the patriarch is now in church. No, no. That's not it. That's just the teaching of the scriptures. Like, men were given the duty to love first, to pour, and to be like Christ. Right? But the enemy comes here from day one. He wants to distort uh, and scramble the order that God made. And you'll see the consequences of that when they go on to talk about sin. So that he comes to distort, he puts God's words, uh, uh, Satan puts words into God's mouth that God hadn't even said. But the next thing that, that the enemy does is a defamation of God's character. Defamation of God's character. And the woman said to the serpent, who may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die. The two ways that the enemy does that is number one, he downplays God's goodness in your life. It's like, did God say, oh, God is a killjoy. How could God say that? How could he say you don't? He's coming. So he's, he, it's a defamation of character, right? He's like, let's downplay that this God is good. And that God is benevolent. He's predisposed to think good to me. He's like, no, 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 no. He's hiding something from me. Downplaying God's goodness. And yet, if you think about the blessing that God had given humanity at this point in time, said, eat of every tree, right? You've heard me say before that apples alone have 7,500 species, types of apples and different tastes. If Adam had decided to eat apples alone every day, it would have taken 20 years just to enjoy the apple. <laughs> then bananas, there are over 2,500 different tastes of bananas. Another 13 years, <laughs> This is just enjoying God's blessing. There are over 2,000 types of fruits in the world. We only consume 10% in terms of edible fruits in the world. 2,000 known fruits. And on, on those 2,000, the number of switch on each, and God said, have everything you want. Look at all that God has given. If those guys were just fruit and veggies alone. Fruit and veggies alone. God has given a wide range. But it's coming to dumb place like, no, 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 no. You know, but the serpent said to them, you surely not die. For God knows when you eat, your eyes will be opened 
He's downplaying his goodness. He's downplaying his power. Right? It makes God like his, you know, he doesn't have the best interests at heart. He's taking away some knowledge from them. It's like, you know, God doesn't want us to be woke. <laughs> like, let's downplay. He's not a good God. And that's part in my own salvation, how the enemy kept me blinded before the Lord chose me. It was this thinking where I'm just like, mm, God is, is not good. He doesn't want my goodness. He doesn't want my goodness. Right? Part of it was also the Christians who were around me. They looked like God didn't want their goodness in their lives. Just, just look like, oh, those guys are unhappy, bro. I don't want to be like that. That's what the enemy does. Just like downplays. But also in verse 3, he says, you shall surely die. It begins, it says, did God say? He also begins to magnify how strict God is. Right? So on one end, he lessens his judgment. He says, nah, you will not die. Like God is like Santa. And that, this is the character of the, of, of, of the enemy, right? Accusation and condemnation. Right? Accusation and condemnation. That's the nature of sin. See, you know, what the enemy does one time is when, you, when you're going to sin, what the enemy does is he amplifies God's goodness, and he downplays his judgment, saying, ah, you can do it. And then when you have done, done it, it's a seesaw. He amplifies God's judgment, and he minimizes his goodness and his grace and his mercy. Always been doing that from day one. And that's what he's doing. It's like God, he says God, and the, the term that's used there is Elohim, the most high. The enemy exaggerates to make God seem harsh, right? God had not said Adam could not eat from any tree but from just one tree. And God, and he, in, in, in verse 3 there, he says, you shall surely, it's verse 4, but the serpent, serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die. Like nothing is going to happen to you. So it's like, your goodness, let's downplay it. Your strictness, let's magnify it. But your judgment, let's play down. Like, nah, God is not like that. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a lie from the enemy. That's a lie from the enemy. The good news of the gospel is good news because of the bad news. What makes good news in your life is not just the good news. Is how else events could go in your life, the events of your life could go. So even when we talk about the gospel as the good news, we've got to appreciate what the bad news is. The bad news is, oh, the wrath of God will be revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness. That you and I, we're not saved from the world or from the enemy, but we're saved from the wrath of of God. And the enemy does that. So he says, so when the woman saw that the, the tree was good for food 
And it was a delight to the eyes that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. So she took off its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they saw fig leaves together and made themselves clothes. Here's a decept- uh, the last thing that the enemy does on this. Promising benefits from disobedience. He says, listen. You're going to be like God, right? You're going to be like God. It's like disobey, you're going to be like God. It's like it's, it looks good, you've got to enjoy it. It's going to be so much fun. That's what he does. He even tempts, you see that even in the temptation of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. That he comes to Jesus and he makes him want to meet legitimate needs through illegitimate means. It's like you need this. You're hungry. Jump. You need the money. Jump. Oh, I'm doing this. If you disobey, there's benefits. And you see how Adam begins to adopt this type of thinking and excuses that he begins to make when God comes to hold him accountable. To say, Lord, (laughs) you know, all these things around me. You see it through all the things, uh, the types of the enemy. You see that through the forbidden woman in Proverbs chapter 5 to chapter 7, right? It says her lips, uh, when you kiss the forbidden woman, her lips are like honey. Uh, she's like honey on the lips, but when it goes down, it's like wormwood. It promises all these benefits from disobedience. But what actually happens is the devil delivers pain. What he delivers, what he promises, he cannot deliver. The pleasures that he promises, right? The pleasures that he promises, they cannot deliver. G.K. Chesterton talks about there's one generation that found meaninglessness through a weariness of pain, but this generation is going to find meaninglessness from a weariness of pleasure. They're going to come to the end of pleasure. That's why Romans chapter 1 talks about that. That promises and benefits from disobedience. It talks about most of us think God is unhappy with us when he withholds material things or the desires of our hearts from us. We think that's God judging us. But Romans chapter 1 shows God sometimes is the other way around. He gives you the desires of your heart for your judgment, for the judgment of your soul. The things that you think will give you meaning, will give you purpose. God will allow you to have so that you discover that meaninglessness. That benefit that you think you will get from disobeying and not aligning with God. So what happens at this point? What condition are they in now? They have sinned against God. They're in a place of cover-up, right? Then the eyes were opened and they were naked and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid himself from the presence of God amongst the trees of the garden. They're in a state of disobedience. They're in a state of cover-up, which is what we try to do, right? We have sinned against God. We're not walking with God or we're non-believers. We now want to take created things to replace the cover that God has given to us, right? 
But those created things have a diminishing satisfaction. We see this from day one. That's what man resorts to when he has sinned. To find created things. To replace the cover that God gave. They try to find money. They try to find travel. I'm not saying that's bad. It's good. But we take those things and now make them ultimate. They're covering up. But the other thing is that they are hiding from God and they're giving excuses. But the Lord called to man and said to him, Where are you? It's interesting. There are a few questions that God asked uh, on this passage that he asked, where are you? I remember four weeks ago when we, when we were talking, I made reference to this question, right? But God called. This word called doesn't mean God came, you know, like he's in a movie or in Pocahontas and, forth, and say, hello, Adam. Adam? <laughs> you know, it's not like God is calling with it, you know, like he's in downtown Abbey and he's calling, he's calling Adam. It was like a roaring sound throughout the earth. God drawing man to himself. He's like, Adam, he heard it from wherever he was. I'm sure by this hiding, I'm sure he had traveled. He was on an island somewhere. Discovering <laughs> with margaritas. He's just like, but God is in the garden of... God is like... Ugh. Everything around, he's not getting drunk. That margarita is reminding him that you're out of God's will. Everything around him, that's God's call. It's the, it's the evidences of God in everything calling you to yourself. That's what God does. So some of you who are, who are not believers, you're here today and think, oh, I'm just going to church. Oh, this girl invited me. I like this. It's the sound of God. <laughs> It's the sound of God calling you. It's like he's using everything. <laughs> everything, everything, everything to draw. That's what the Bible is talking about. It's like, but the Lord called to man and said, where are you? Where are you, Adam? Guys, God is omnipotent. God is not like he's playing hide and seek. like, Adam, come out, Adam. No, this is not, he's not seeking information about the geographical location of Adam or he needs a pin to be sent to him. What is, <laughs> what is happening is he wants, he wants Adam to own up. He's like, where are you in light of my love, in light of what I have done for you? Where are you? You're created to walk with me in the cool of the day. Where are you? You're covering up. You're hiding. Where are you? This is not for God to discover where Adam is. It's for Adam to discover where he is. He's like, Adam, do you know where you are? Where are you? Right? Would you face up? to where you are right now? Would you stop covering up? Would you stop giving excuses? Would you stop hiding? Would you stop living in disobedience? It's a very unusual question. And it reveals, so he's in disobedience and the consequences of sin. Just go to the next one. 
Next slide. The consequences of sin had happened here, right? After sin entered into the world, read Romans chapter 5 on how sin entered to the world. All these things happened. They are now separated. Theologically, they are separated from God. Isaiah talks about your sin has separated you from the glory of God. Personally, they're having problems sociologically, ecologically, animals, physically, they're getting sick. They've pronounced all these things uh, that are as a result of sin. And God is coming in the midst of that devastation that has happened in the world. That conflict is now in the world. Even animals that used to get along, everything, sickness has come, toil, judgment. God is coming to him and saying, where are you? It's a very unusual question. As I close and land, <laughs> time in the future will give us time just to walk through. It's very unusual. It's unusual in that, number one, it turns the notion that we are the ones who seek God upside down. That is God who's always seeking after us. It's God who's knocking at the door of your heart. It's God who chases you down. Throughout scripture, the children of Israel in slavery tells uh, Moses, I've come down to heal, uh, to rescue my people, so I'm sending you. He comes to Moses. He comes to, you know, he comes to Elijah. He comes to, he comes to, he comes to. When you tell your friends, oh, I'm seeking the Lord. No, you've been found by the Lord. Even that desire to seek the Lord has been granted to you by the Lord. So it's also showing this loving God who's charging towards the sinner. Like, here's what you've done to the world, Adam. Because he actually asked him, he's like, have you eaten of the fruit? It's a very unusual question. It's also a very kind question that God's signature move is redemption. He's trying not to condemn, but to convince. He's drawing Adam. He's granting him what he doesn't deserve. There is nothing in Adam that would make God look for Adam. And even today, there is nothing God saw in you. God didn't see your 20-year plan and say, oh, I can rock with that. God didn't see some giftedness in you. They say, oh, this guy is clever. This guy can speak like this. Guess. I'm always saying this. There's one thing that you contributed to salvation. It's the sin that made it necessary. It's the sin that made it necessary. But here, it shows that God comes to us. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Not our repentance leading us to his kindness or, or uh, making him and prompting his kindness towards us. That's the question that God is asking. Say, where are you? I heard, it says, I heard the sound of you in the gardens afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Uh, and he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree? Uh, I say this the last time that when God was asking Adam, who told you you were naked? He's not talking about physical nudity. He's saying, who told you that when you're in sin, I don't love you, I don't cover you anymore, and I cannot redeem you. That's what the enemy had done. Right? And then he starts giving excuses. And then the man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree. How much excuses are we giving to sin these days? 
It's like, oh, this is how I grew up. Ah, there's some that are legitimate into, to explain behavior, but not sin. So, oh, this is where I grew up. God, it's the government you gave us in Kenya. You know in Kenya, this is how you, we need, nothing moves in Kenya without a bribe. <laughs> because these are the politicians you gave us. <laughs> An excuse? <laughs> We're in Africa. You know, this, this is how, well, this is how I grew up, this is how I'm, this is, it didn't start with you. It started with the first man. <laughs> giving excuses and calling out what God gave them, saying, you know what, I behaved this way. I sinned because of this. He says, what is it that you have done? Here's the thing about this question. And then God brings different curses to the serpent, to the man, and to the woman. Of course, to the serpent, he said, because you have done this, cursed are you, and the livestock above all the fields, and your belly shall grow, you shall eat dust, I mean, this is one of the Bible verses I'm really grateful for in the scriptures. Because when God cursed the serpent and said, from today you shall crawl on your belly, it means before snakes used to walk. <laughs> when it's just into a king cobra, right? And you're sprinting and this thing is coming. <laughs> Bruh. <laughs> this is an implication. He, says from, he can't tell something that was crawling before, that from today you'll start crawling. It's a curse that God brings. He says, from today, you will crawl on your belly. <laughs> right? It's beginning to give those curses to men. But I want to jump to the last parts of the question. What I want to close today. Please go on, go on, go on, go on, go on to the end, to the last. This is where <laughs> the question you want to ask today in light of, of sin and salvation because God begins to point to Jesus Christ. He comes in verse 20 and he covers them. Begins to point the whole work of the fall and redemption is full on in this passage where he points to, you know, in verse 15, the war of the offspring that Hebrews 2.14 says that the son of God uh, destroyed death in the devil. Colossians 2 15, that says, having made, having made a public spectacle, he disarmed the principalities and the rulers. First John chapter 3, verse 8, it says, for this reason, the Son of God was made manifest so that he might destroy the works of the evil one. Hallelujah. This is power. <laughs> Please assist to make sure that that's, that that's all right. It begins to show that salvation and the victory and prophesying, it begins to show it in verse 20. But here are a few questions I want to ask us as believers today. Non-believer or believer? The first one is, are you hiding and afraid because of sin? Are you hiding? And it's even possible to hide in church because of sin. And are you afraid? This is a very personal, and you cannot escape these questions today. Are you covering up? Even covering up with good deeds and, and, and noble things? Are you covering up with being busy? 
When Adam says, where are you, he wants him to own up to his sin. He wants to hold him accountable because the son of man's sin has to be held accountable. But are you trying to cover up? Are you trying to hide with many other, with creative things? Are you, are you running away? And do you think God doesn't see you? For those who are not believers, I'll say surrender your life and say yes to what God has done in Christ Jesus. But to those who are believers, would we stop and realize what Romans 8 teaches us? That there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. There's no defeat by the enemy. And there's no separation from the love of God. Would we please stand? Lord, we cannot hide. You can see us hiding from a... Adam went to hide behind a tree, a created thing. Lord, you see us. You see us trying to hide behind created things. Trying to run. Trying to worship the created things and replace them. Try to find meaning cover, purpose, protection from created things. Lord, my prayer this morning is those, Lord, who came, who you're drawing to yourself. May you silence the voice of the enemy and may they say yes to this love, to this God whose signature move is redemption, that he runs towards sinners that he runs towards sinners. And if you're a non-believer and you know it in your heart, would you surrender your heart to the Lord? But if you're a believer, you should know that we were dead in our transgression, following the course of this world, but we have been made in a life, alive in Christ Jesus and their resources in his word and in Jesus to help us be convicted that God has lifted the penalty of sin from us but that God through his power and through his spirit is reducing the power and the grip of sin over our lives. May the truth of God's word silence the voice of condemnation the voice of self-disqualification. But Lord, would you teach us to hate sin? Would you teach us to be grieved by sin? Help us, oh God, not to love what you hate or to hate what you love. Help us, oh God, to be the sight of sin, the presence of sin. May it break us. May you use the guilt. Oh God. May we not try to get rid of guilt. The world has clever ways to try and get rid of guilt. But, oh God, this guilt is you drawing us. It's a reminder of your holiness. It echoes in our hearts that we've sinned against a holy God and is calling us to repentance. We give you all the glory, Lord. We give you all the honor.
And all of God's people said, Amen.